Well, morning, everybody. Welcome to all those joining us online as well. We had a great week away for our spring break. We're celebrating Lily's senior year, so it was kind of family senior year spring break trip to Cabo, which is off the Baja Peninsula in Mexico. And so last Sunday morning at this time, while you were all here worshiping, we were on a boat on the Sea of Cortez, and we were looking for humpback whales. It's kind of a bucket list item for us. We'd never seen anything like humpback whales. I mean, growing up in Iowa and then moving to Indiana, right? So, I mean, we're lucky to find water, right? So uh, we found about, it was amazing, though, just traveling out there. That, so the, I read a little bit about the humpback whales. Those of you who know me know I'd be probably reading about them. But so the largest land mammal that we have is the African elephant. It weighs 14,000 pounds, largest land mammal. That is the weight, 14,000 pounds, is the weight of the humpback whale's tongue. Is that giving you a little perspective here? It was for me. Their heart is the size of a compact car. So we're sitting out in the Sea of Cortez Sunday morning on this boat, and the, the driver of the boat kind of quiets the engine down. They said, we have to leave the engine running because we want to let the whales know where you are. Appreciate that. That's really hadn't thought that one through there, but that's, they need to know where you are so they don't surface and do something to your boat. And so that we just quiet the engine down, and then we're sitting there, and the first thing we hear is this, and it's like, what was it, honey? Probably 200 yards from us, but it sounded like it was right there. You hear the spout of air, and then you start, and then you see them, five or six of them, you know, total surfacing massive, beautiful, just creatures that God made out in this wonderful world. So we were suffering for Jesus all week long. It was 78 degrees and sunny, just like spring break in Indiana, I know, right? So, but it's good to be back. We had a, a great time away. All right, open up your Bibles, 1 Kings 18. Uh, this morning, I, I take a little pause point in our journey through the Gospel of John because I, I felt just a, a leading from God to address a specific subject matter related to our Lenten season. So I did some reading. You heard from Tom and Chad about the immigrants and the, the whole movement of peoples around the earth. And we've got the Keller serving in Sicily. And I, I did some reading about some immigrants who, when they first came to the United States, there's so many overwhelming dynamics growing up in a completely different culture than ours. And when you first land on the soil of the U.S., and, and one Russian immigrant talked about how he was overwhelmed with his visit to the grocery store. He said when he first walked into the grocery store, he said he walked by something called, he said he was amazed by powdered milk. He said you just add water and then you have milk. And then he went to another aisle and he saw powdered like orange drink or powdered orange juice. You just add water and you get orange drink. And then he said he walked by the aisle and it said baby powder. And he said, what a country. That's all he said. <laughs> but we live in a time and in a generation where our expectation from a request given to a request carried out has moved from waiting weeks or days or even hours. It's now measured in seconds. They've done a study with Japanese children versus American children on the whole issue of like the proficiency in mathematics. 
Japanese children consistently outrank American children by many degrees when it comes to math. And they just assumed there must have been a natural proclivity with the Japanese related to just math and proficiency around math. And actually, they learned it's something completely different. They took some first graders and they gave them a puzzle that was so difficult they'd never be able to solve. So an exceptionally really difficult puzzle. They knew that the first graders wouldn't be able to solve it. They put the Japanese first graders together, the American first graders together, and they studied how they approached solving the puzzle. And here's what they concluded. They found out that the Japanese children stayed with the project 40% longer than the Americans. Now, they never got it done, but you follow me? They stayed with it. They kept working at it. They did. Another way to say it is the Americans just gave up a whole lot quicker than the Japanese children on it. And here's the conclusion of the researchers, that proficiency has a lot more to do with PQ than IQ. PQ being persistence quotient, that success is really a derivative of persistence and staying with it than it is just intellectual capacity. And when I read about that, I thought, you know what? That's the application point for us. This morning we're going to look at what does it mean to raise our PQ as a praying people, to see our persistent quotient with prayer go up or notch or two. And we're going to look at that through two different stories in the Bible. The first one is Elijah in 1 Kings 18. So just a brief backdrop on 1 Kings 18. You'll kind of get the context here. Look at verse 1. After a long time in the third year, underline after a long time in your Bible, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Ahab is the seventh king of the northern kingdom of Israel in the Old Testament history. So the history with the kings is, like if you were king number three, the commentary on you is you did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than king one and two. King number five did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than king one through four. Ahab is the seventh king. He did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than one through six. You see the pattern? The northern kingdom was 0 for 19 in godly kings. 0 for 19 across 200 years. So lest we think in our own land and we're on the struggle bus with whatever your views are and how the leadership of our land is going, lest you think God and his people haven't been enduring times where, how about that, 0 for 19, none of the kings interested in paying attention to God, all interested in doing what they want. God's commentary on it is each one did more evil in his eyes than all those before him. So is God like wringing his hands and fretting, like, how am I going to get my kingdom moving forward? No. You know what God did at that point? He raised up prophets. This is where the prophets get inserted into the Old Testament storyline. So you read through your Old Testament, and you read about the reign of the kings, and you say, what's up with the prophets? Well, here's how the prophets. He picked a guy like Elijah, and he says, Elijah, you want to pay attention to me? You want to listen to me? You want to serve me? I pick you. I draft you into what I need you to do now. You're going to represent me, my ways, my heart, my character before the kings because the kings aren't interested. You see this? So Elijah's role is to pay attention to God and keep the character of God before the kings who are completely self-absorbed and godless. Picture the life of a prophet now. How do you think that went? 
So lest you just want to run around and adopt the title prophet, that's why I cringe a lot when I see some billboard go up alongside 465 that says prophet so-and-so coming to town. I'm like, oh, I don't think that's how that really works. Like, you were, I mean, the title prophet was placed on you as like a, you would run from it. Like, you kidding me? But they're drafting, God drafts them in and says, I got something for you to do. Elijah, you're going to go to Ahab. You're going to speak to him about a three-year drought and how I'm going to send rain in the midst of this three-year drought. You're going to break it because the drought is so severe, so long, so difficult. Uh, animals are dying. People are starving. This drought is a big deal. And so he's got Elijah to step in. And now watch what Elijah, he's praying. The prophet's prayer life is a great thing to study because if you picture their lifestyle, they were lived for mostly on their knees for sanity and so here's Elijah, verse 42, 1 Kings 18. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. Have you tried to do this? I tried to do this in my office. So he bends down on his ground, put his face between his knees. Now, I'm, I'm 49, so this isn't going to get all the way there. Are you with me? So, but this is Elijah, right? So he's bending down. This is that posture of desperation, of dependence, where you're calling out to God. You're like, God, you've got to break this drought. God, you've got to send rain. Ahab is whacked. The people are dying. We need crops. You said you'd send rain. Send rain, oh Lord. Anybody been there? Lord, you've just got to come through. It's been long enough, oh God. And so Elijah's on his knees, and it says what in the text? It says he's down there, and he's praying, and he says to his servant, Go look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There's nothing there, he said. Cool. Anybody been there? Some of you are living 1 Kings 18, verse 43. There's nothing there. You're down here on your knees. You are crying out to God. You're in this posture of desperation and dependence, and you keep getting the word, uh, there's nothing there. There's nothing happening. Not just once. He keeps praying, go look again. Nope. Go look again. Third time, there's nothing there. Fourth time, there's nothing there. Fifth time, there's nothing there. Sixth time, there's nothing there. At what point would you be maybe tempted to kind of bail on the, right? Sixth, seventh time. Look, look what happens here. He says, it keeps going. Seven times, Elijah says, go back. Go back. The seventh time, the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Are you kidding me? So the seventh time, right, he says, look out there, a cloud. I was trying to picture this scene as we were standing looking out over the Pacific this week and going, the cloud a size of a hand. You saw it, that's it. Hitch up your chariot, you better get out of here. There's a storm rolling in. So here's the first principle in raising our PQ in our praying from 1 Kings 18. That we're going to have to navigate this gap between prayers requested and prayers answered. There's a gap here. Now isn't it wonderful in the gap when the gap is narrow? Like, we're in this season, Lenten season, and we've called it our journey with one day praying. Have you have been using the one day prayer wall? I want to encourage you to continue to use that. Here's a picture of the one day wall 
as of this week. Hopefully some of you were able to flip some more cards maybe as you came in this morning. And if you have any idea what this is about, we're just spending these six weeks during the Lenten season. We're believing and praying God for some big things. And as God answers the prayer, we flip the card over. Isn't it encouraging to see some cards flip? And isn't it encouraging to go up there and maybe take a look at what happened on the card and how God came through, whether a house that was sold or some, a marriage that was healed or, or a breakthrough and a, just a provision financially? I mean, there's been cool things. God's been amazing that way. Sometimes the gap between when you're praying about something and when he comes through is really narrow. Isn't that great when God does that? He's so personal. He's so precise in what he does. He's so caring. He's a good, good father. And there are times in which he just says, hey, about the time you're praying for it, the mountain is moving. Isn't that great when that happens? Like about the time you're right there, you're, you're like Elijah at the sixth time. You say, sixth time, go look one more time. You're right on the cusp of six to seven, and you see the cloud the size of a hand forming. Isn't it amazing when God does that? When it's narrow gap praying. It's like the young child who said to me a couple weeks ago after service, uh, I don't know, he looked like he was second or third grade. He came right up to me and he says, Pastor Eric, I've got my one-day card. And he came up and showed me his one-day prayer card. I said, cool, buddy, show me. Talk to me about what it is. He drew a picture. He says, Pastor Eric, it's a picture of a baby. Like, I'm praying for a brother or sister, another one. I go, really? Yeah. And he goes, there's my mom, and there's the baby, and I'm praying like another brother, sister. And he had this look like, Pastor Eric, God's going to do this. And I said, how does your mom feel about this? <laughs> Isn't that great, though, the innocence of a child who just believe in God for big things? I often see narrow gap praying when it comes to children. Like, I would encourage you, if you really got something where you need God to break through and break, ask a child to start praying for you in that. The heart of a child, what is God doing in the heart of a child? I think he's building a sense of trust and faith that you can believe me. And he, often it's a narrow gap from when a kid's praying on something and God coming through because he's establishing a relationship there. I also see narrow gap praying when it comes to someone who's new to the faith someone who's just given their heart to Jesus and they're just learning how to live everyday life with him. And it's often a new believer when they're praying about stuff, like stuff just happening. So you already got, now you got a little sneak peek into how am I gonna see things move forward in prayer? Kids and new believers say, <laughs> hey, I'm gonna ask you guys to be praying about these things. Because God's just, he's building trust, he's building faith, he's building a, hey, you can believe me, you can live your everyday life with me. Do you see that? And there's just a sense in which God, he does that sometimes. He just narrows that gap. He's a good, good father. He wants to come through. He wants to provide for his children. But we all know, if you live any length of time in your life with God, that that gap gets wider and wider and wider. You see, the language of the wider gap is Elijah, 1 Kings 18, verse 1, when it says, after a long time. Anybody feel that about their cards? Some of you, see, here's, here's the wide gap praying. You look at the wall and you go, all those cards are flipping. Mine, not. Mine ain't moved. You see, all cards are around yours, but yours is still there. What? It's a widening the gap. What, God, why longer that way? It's the language of the psalmist in Psalm 5 when he says, Consider my sighing, O Lord. Anybody been there? Where the only way you can pray is just sighing. 
Or it's the language of the psalmist who says, Why, O Lord? How long, O Lord? When, O Lord? That's the language of the wider gap. And part of our journey of raising our PQ is just kind of wrapping our heart and minds around the work of God in the widening of the gap. That God's no less present, no less attentive or active in the narrow gap or the wide gap. He's up to something in widening the gap. I want you to think with me about this. Like, as a parent, parents, think with me about when you're raising a child, do we give our child everything they want when they want it? Some of you are like way too often, you know, right in your head, you're like, ugh. But as a parent, you really, you work at, of course, there are times in which your child's asking you for something, you just give it to them because you want to, you want to provide for your child that way. That's fine. But then there's other times, right, you know, as a parent, developmentally for your child, you want to purposefully withhold an answer or a provision because you want to see something grow and develop in the heart of a child. You don't just... Every time they ask for something, you give. You know what? The heart of a child who gets everything they ask for when they ask for it. Do you know what that child grows up and is an adult? They're a really hard spouse to be married to. They show up in my office in premarital counseling, and the person who's trying to. You know what? That's, you know what happens? There's an entitlement and an impatience, and everything revolves around me. That's what happens, parents. If you just give your kids whatever they want whenever they want it, that's not developmentally most helpful for them to mature and to grow. And God's operating the same way with us as his kids. He's like, you know what? There are times, especially early on in our walk with him, where he's so quick to come through. And then as we, a sign of maturity is when he's widening the gap and we're like Elijah. We get on our knees and we're praying with persistence and we're saying, you know what, God? Once, twice, three times, we're at five or we're at six. Go and look, go and look. And you're staying with it. Because God knows there's some stuff that happens in the gap that simply wouldn't happen any other way. Or to put it another way is, God's as concerned about who we're becoming while we're praying than whatever it is we're praying about. That's a big deal with God. The sooner we can get our hearts around this, the better this relationship's going to go. That it's not like God's just turned and kind of forgotten us in our prayers. It's not like he couldn't have come through for Elijah on first, second, third time around. Not like at year one or year two. Why three years for Elijah? Why seven times? God, God gets to decide those things. Here's what you need to look at it. Like he's parenting us through it and he's helping us become the kind of person in the widening of the gap that we would never become if it just stayed narrow. Are you with me? I put in your notes a quote that I found really helpful. Mark Batterson said it this way. We stop praying because we can't see any tangible difference with our natural eyes. We allow our circumstances to get between God and us instead of putting God between us and our circumstances. You see, God values things like faith. The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. Like, Developing as a person of faith is a big agenda with God. Well, do you know what God does? I know. It's like Simpson. I want Simpson to grow as a man of faith. So you know what he does is he leads me into massive uncertainty because that's the soil in which faith flourishes when you have no idea how you're going to get through whatever it is you're going through. Like, I don't particularly enjoy uncertainty. I don't go looking for it. But God seems to, like, lead me into that space often. 
He's like, hey, yeah, another place of uncertainty. And why? Because he's, he's valuing something that he wants me to value more, growing in faith. You see that? Or how about this? Perseverance. Like, perseverance is a character quality that God wants to see developed in us as his children. Do you know you just don't get zapped with perseverance? You don't just, like, grow up one day, oh, I'm a person of perseverance. How, do you, how is perseverance built into the interior world of a person? How does that happen? Well, God thrusts you into situations and circumstances where you're right on the edge of throwing your hands up and quitting. You say, giving up. I can't do this. I don't know how, I can't do it anymore, Lord. That, that's how, and you stay with it and you don't give up. That right there is where perseverance gets built. See, God values these things. God values like coming through in impossible circumstances. If you notice this with God, like God loves impossible odds. He loves to like show up and show off in circumstances where no one else could take any credit or any glory for any aspect of it. Like that's a space where God often like come. He values those things. We not so much. We like to be in control and in charge and kind of figure it all out and be, you know. But God's at work. And do you see this is that? This is why we've got to learn to navigate. Okay, narrow gap praying. Rejoice when it happens. Rejoice over the cards that are flipping. And then wide gap praying is being able to stay with him and persevere and persist when the gap gets wider from prayers requested to prayers answered. Because if you think about, what if Elijah would have given up at number six? I have to confess, I would have been really tempted by that. What if he had just got off his knees and said, oh, I'm done? You know, he would have missed out. God would have got done whatever he needed to get done. Elijah would have been the one who missed out. He would have never saw the cloud formation. He would have never saw the storm rolling in and the, the skies opening up and the rain and the drought breaking. He, he would have missed all of that. But because he was a man of strong PQ, he stayed with it. And he got to see something that was important for God to have him see. So 1 Kings 18, I think verse 43 embodies, there's nothing there. That's that's the ingredients for PQ. When you're praying, all the cards around you are flipping. You look at yours, there's nothing there, Lord, right there. I want you to see that's the space where PQ can grow and be developed. Now, I want to add to this one other story. We've got Elijah, 1 Kings 18. Now I want to take John the Baptist, Matthew 11, and then we'll tie it together uh, for a little response here at the end. So Matthew 11, John the Baptist, here's, here's the setting, verse 2. John heard in prison what Christ was doing. He sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who was to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Now here's the key line, underline verse 6. Blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. So here's the second principle of, of, of raising our PQ. The first one has to do with navigating the gap, especially when it goes from narrow to wide. The second one is this staying with Jesus even when he seems inattentive and unresponsive to our needs or to our requests. 
inattentive, unresponsive. John the Baptist. Some of you feel like Elijah, 1 Kings 18, on your knees. There's nothing there. You don't see clouds. You don't see rain. All you see is drought. You feel like your, your prayers are just going off into no man's land. Some of you, though, are with John the Baptist in the prison cell in Matthew 11, and here's what you're hearing. You're hearing about all that Jesus is doing for everyone else, and you feel overlooked and passed by. That's John. How about John the Baptist? John He's the one who baptized Jesus. I mean, how close is John the Baptist here? I mean, this is a close friend of Jesus. He's the one who prepared the way for Jesus to come as the Messiah. This is the guy who was like laying the groundwork for Jesus. He's on the inner circle. If anyone had kind of an inside track for Jesus, like, hey, could you just send a couple angels and, and open that jail cell and let me out of here? Because Herod is whacked and he wants to decapitate me. He wants to execute me. So John's sitting in prison, and he's hearing about Jesus healing, and Jesus giving sight, and Jesus curing, and Jesus coming through, and Jesus raising the dead, Jesus doing all these miracles. And John's like, yeah, Jesus, I really don't need you to raise the dead. I don't need you to cure someone of leprosy. I don't need you to give sight to the blind here. I just need you to open my door. Surely you'll just come and open my door so I can get out of here before Herod sends his executioner to me. Anybody feel that? And one day rolls along to the next, and John just hears about all that Jesus is doing for everyone else. And he feels in his core, maybe Jesus, like, that's why he's asking the question. He says, should I, should I expect someone else? <laughs> he's like, am I missing something, Jesus? And Jesus says, hey, blessed is the one who doesn't fall, fall away. Translated this way, I wrote it down this way, John, stay with me even when it appears I am inattentive and unresponsive. John, keep praying, keep trusting, keep believing. John, remember Elijah. Remember the rain cloud on the horizon. John, just stay. Stay with me. Don't fall away. I know the gap's gotten wide. I know it's much longer, much harder, much slower than you ever envisioned, but just stay with me. Church, do you feel the rising of PQ in that space right there? To stay with Jesus when that card isn't flipping, when we long for it to flip, and you see cards all around you going, you rejoice over those, and then you just say, Lord, don't, don't fall away. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Listen to how Eugene Peterson put it. I thought he summarized this well here. Prayer is not begging God to do something for us that he doesn't know about, or begging God to do something for us that he's reluctant to do, or begging God to do something that he hasn't time for. In prayer, we persistently, faithfully, trustingly come before God, submitting ourselves to his sovereignty, confident that he is acting right now on our behalf, working his will in our life and circumstances. So keep praying, don't quit. And right there is how PQ gets built in us as a people. So I wrote out a few questions I want us to kind of reflect on. I want you to, worship team, why don't you go ahead and come on up as I kind of wind this together and just have us reflect on a few questions I want you to, perhaps this morning, find you with Elijah, 1 Kings 18. 
and you're on your knees, and you're crying out to the Lord, and it's cycle one, two, three, four, five, or six, and it's gone from one year to two years to three years, and all you see is drought and clear skies and no sign of a breakthrough coming, and you're right there, and all you hear from the servant or those around you, no, nothing, nothing's happening. Go look again. No, 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 no there's nothing there. The no, there's the, nothing there. And that may be where this morning finds some of you. Or perhaps the other spaces. You're with John the Baptist, Matthew 11, and you're in that space where you hear about the breakthroughs and miracles, all the ways Jesus is coming through for everyone else, and you feel passed over. You feel he's inattentive and unresponsive to your situation and your needs and your desires and you wonder when and how long, and all you can do is sigh, and that's John. And you hear Jesus say to you, hey, blessed, just stay with me right there. Stay with me in the widening of the gap. So I wrote out some questions that I offer you as I wrote them for myself. Do I trust that God is for me even when he isn't coming through like I long for him to? Do I trust that? Do I trust God is for me even when the coming through part isn't going like I thought it was going to go? Do I believe God has something I simply can't see right now on the other side of whatever this unanswered prayer season I'm in? And then thirdly, do I even have a shred of faith, just one thread of faith that any day, even this day, can become the one day. Like today. Do I just have at least a thread of faith to believe that today could be the six to seven for Elijah. Today could be, look out on the horizon, squint your eyes and see the cloud forming. Today could be the day. When the storm starts rolling in and the rain starts falling and the drought is broken today, today could be that day. Today could be the day when the door opens and you exit. Whatever prison cell you feel like you've been in, asking for a breakthrough and a break in. Today could be that day, church. And the Bible's very clear with, as his people, what he he's trying to build in us is he, he wants us to be a, a persevering, praying people, people who persistent in their prayers. And so sometimes he'll widen the gap. And sometimes the experience will feel like John where he's inattentive and unresponsive and he wants us to stay with him in that space. You know, it's 25 years ago this week when I walked out of the doors of Eli Lilly and Company for the last time, and I joined staff at Eagle Church. It was 25 years ago this week. And I turned 50 later this month. It's taken me a little while to kind of put that language together there, but 50. For some of you, you remember, you remember my first sermon in May 1994, and what an endurance of grace you had in all of that. It was entitled, Racing for a Winning Life. I don't know why, but it was May, and there was a race, and I somehow drew it to Jesus. So, 
but maybe it's just because of this month. Maybe it's those two things, 25 years together and turning 50 this month. You know, it hit me in preparing for this. We spent half our life together. Half of my years have been with you as a local body. And I count that as one of the greatest joys and privileges of my life to say, you know, half of my years just grounded here. You've heard all my stories. You've dealt with all my idiosyncrasies and quirks and none of those are going away. You put up all these things and here we are. can honestly say, church, you, you have taught me more about what it means to be a people of PQ than anyone else. To sit with you, to cry with you, to rejoice with you, to sigh with you, to say I don't understand with you to cling to Jesus together with you, to be there in all that life throws at us, in all the seasons that come, the good, the bad, everything in between, the mountaintops and the valleys and the plateaus, the times when we've seen breakthroughs, the times when we've fallen on our face and made mistakes, you. And I think that's a wonderful gift. We, as the body of Christ, this is what it means to be a PQ family that we just decide we're going to band together we're going to stay together and we're going to pray together and we're going to believe God together that he's a faithful God he's a good God we're going to trust him whether our one day card is flipped or whether it still stares us right in the face we're going to believe this day any day could be coming burden for the Elijah's in the room who are calling out one year turns into two turns into three one cycle turns into four cycles turns into six and just the weariness that comes from enduring I pray that you would infuse those who feel like Elijah felt when he kept hearing from the servant there's nothing there infuse him with the eye of faith now and the strength to persevere pray for the John the Baptists in the room, Lord, those who, who feel like maybe God's just so active and responsive and coming through and breaking through for so many others, and you just feel he's kind of overlooked. He's not, he's not hearing. He's not seeing. He's, he's inattentive and unresponsive to your circumstances and your need. I pray that you would give them hope. You would breathe courage you would breathe your perspective, that you would give them a, a strength to stay with you. Blessed is the one who does not fall away in that space. Lord, raise up a people here who will persevere in prayer. Teach us your ways, we pray. In Jesus' name.